Well, good morning. How are we? Very good. Well, we are right in the middle of, of a series that um, is incredible. This year in church, we are looking at All In, living a life that's All In. It's a, it's a difficult prayer to pray, but an easy life to live. It doesn't seem to make sense, but, but I can tell you from experience that it is. It's a difficult prayer to put before God and sing those words, I give you my life, I give you everything, I am all in. But when you do that, somehow, illogically, with a piece that doesn't make sense, it becomes a really easy life to live. And so we today are going to look at, in this series, encounters with Jesus, faith encounters that change people's life. That's the middle of the series that we're in. And we're going to spend some time this morning studying the Word of God. And, and I'm going to preach as quickly as Adam possibly can, which you all sigh and go, okay, great, we're here till dinner time. But I know, Dad, I'm going to preach as quickly as I can. Because uh, the Holy Spirit can do far more than I can do with words this morning. And there's a great sense of his presence here this morning. And I, I believe that we can encounter Jesus today in a way that we haven't. But we have to study the Word of God because why, why as followers of Christ do we read the Word of God? Well, Second Timothy chapter 3, it tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God and it is useful for three things in our life. Firstly, to tell us what is wrong with our life to tell us what we can be doing good in our life, and thirdly, to equip us to do the good works that God has for us. And whether you believe the same as us this morning, or whether you are still on that journey, I think we can all agree that when it comes to life, we want to live a life that is free of the bad things, full of the good things, and a life that feels fully equipped to live it to the most abundance that we can. And that's what the Word of God is for. That is why we study it. That is why we need it. At some point in our life, there are two types of people. Number one, those that read the product manual before you begin operating the machinery. Or those that read the product manual when you have operated the machinery and something has gone wrong. Either way, read the manual. (laughs) And that's why we study the Word of God, and that's why as Christians we follow it in our life. We're going to read and look at an encounter with Jesus from Mark chapter 2 today, and we saw a bit of a video, a YouTube special during that video, but it's titled, Jesus Heals a Paralyzed Man. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law, the Pharisees who were sitting there, thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive 
sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. What a classic Sunday school story. My son came up to me this morning, Carter. He's uh, six years old. And he said, Dad, can you preach from my Bible today? And he brought me out a, a kid's Bible that he loves to read. And I said, yeah, let me find it. I will guarantee this is classic Sunday school. This story will be in there. Open it up. There it is. It's about four sentences. Four sentences. And I said, I might just have to preach from mine today. That might not cover it. But it's so easy just to gloss over this. But think about it. A man who was paralyzed has an encounter with Jesus Christ and moonwalks his way out of a house in front of a bunch of people who disbelieved and his life is forever changed. That is what an encounter with Jesus means to us as mere mortal human beings. It's not something just to skim over at the beginning of Mark or Luke, whatever gospel you want to read it in, or to close our minds off to it because we've heard it a thousand times. But it's an opportunity here to see what happens when we encounter Jesus Christ in our life. So let's pray before we unpack this. Because if you are like me right now in this place this morning, you didn't turn up just because your calendar said, hey, church is on. You turned up here because you wanted to stand with other believers, unite in faith together and have a touch from Jesus Christ in our life and walk out of here a little bit different. Am I right? Come on, it's a beautiful day out out there. We're not in here just because it's church. We're in here because we want to encounter Jesus. So let's take a moment right now, open up our hearts and our mind and believe that he can do something here this morning. Lord, we thank you that where two or more are gathered, you are in their presence, which means you are here today. You also tell us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever we are, you can dwell within us. So this morning, Lord, as we listen to your word and what you would say through this message, this ancient story, would you make it relevant to each one of our lives this morning? Open our hearts to hear from you. Renew our minds and help us take one more step in obedience to live a life that is all in for you. Amen. All right, have you ever found yourself in a room or at an event or something that you have really been looking forward to, really excited about, but the atmosphere or your excitement gets kind of dampened or let down because the people around you are not sharing your pure joy and excitement for what is about to happen. They haven't been looking forward to it as long as you. They have the disrespect to not realize what is happening in front of you. Have you ever been in that kind of situation? Let me give you an example. So I am, I am a really big fan of the band U2. 
And, uh, and, and you might say, yeah, I am as well, but trust me, I am the biggest fan of you too. And, and I love to, to have a little bit of a wrestle with someone if they, if they claim to be a fan. And there's a certain list of questions that I will go through. What's your favorite album? Why? I look for all the typical answers. Of course, they're going to say the Joshua Tree. They're going to tell me that their favorite song is With or Without You. That's pretty standard. You can read that stuff online. But I want to know the reason why that's your favorite song, how they formed, what their first name was, all these kind of things. And there will come a point in our wrestle back and forth over who is the biggest U2 fan that I will ask them a question. And it seems like a simple question. I will say, well, as you know, Bono is the lead singer of U2. And they're like, of course. Everybody in the world knows Bono. And I will say, okay, well, tell me what his real name is. Because it's his nickname. Bono is his nickname. And at this point, one of two things will happen. The person will look at me, if they're a true fan, if they've passed all the pre-qualifying questions, the person will look at me and their eyes will become very wide and they will stare at me as they realize that they stand in the presence of the greatest U2 fan that ever existed. (laughs) And they will quietly bow out of the argument and move away humbly. Or they will say that his name is Paul Hewson. And at that point, I will let them meet my son, whose name is Hewson. And then, once and for all, we will determine... Now, the greatest U2 fan is obviously me, because you may know all the answers, but I named my son after the lead singer. You think I'm kidding, it's true. Sonny is his nickname, his real name is Houston, spelt the same way and everything. It's fun explaining that to people. But a few years ago, 2010, November 24th to be exact, not that I keep these dates, U2 came to Australia again after a, a long kind of break of being here. And I, I went to two concerts, because that's my, my policy, minimum of two concerts. And the first one took my wife, who was uh, very, very pregnant, but she had to go because she's married to me. We hadn't yet named a child. At that point, we'd only named the cat after Bono. Uh, that was Bonnie, and that's a whole other story. But the second, I stayed that night and went back to line up from... Very early o'clock, may or may not have been 6 a.m., all day in the middle of the heat because I wanted to get as close to the front to see my friends who were playing on stage that night and, and be right down the front. And I lined up all day. I wouldn't leave my spot. I, I wanted to be right at the front. We were in general access and a friend came and joined me, and we waited all day long. And I got second row from the front. Like It was only one person in front of me. They were shorter. It's all good. I'm right there. But then all these other people started crowding around me. They had, they had actually turned up to see a different artist who was the support act, completely different to you too. And suddenly, after lining up all day, all these people came and pushed in around me and surrounded me and, and, and disrespected what was happening on the stage. And I was ticked off. I had been there all day, waited for months, and then all through, you know, the incredible angelic music that was being played, they were talking because they were not interested 
about what was going on. I was frustrated. I was annoyed because I understood the importance and the internal significance of this moment that was before us. But for them, it was just a matter of getting it done so they could get back home. They'd already seen what they were there for. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you have found yourself in a room or know of someone in a room or in the presence of someone or something and you are absolutely astonished that they took for granted the opportunity that was before them. I had a client once that I was doing some work for, and he's from England, and he claimed to be Robbie Williams' first ever manager. And I said, all right, I got one question for you. Do you know you too? I don't ask everyone that, but I thought there's a good connection here. And I said, listen, if you know you too, and you can get me access to you too, I'll do this work for free for you. <laughs> and he said, well, I've been in the room once with Bono. Is that, can that at least get me a discount? And I said, no. Uh, but, I, but I said, well, how was it? What, what did you ask him? Did you talk to him about the, the world relief, the poverty stuff that he does, Africa, the music? He goes, oh, no, I didn't talk to him. He didn't talk to him. You were in the room with Paul Bono Hewson, named after you know, my son, and you did not even talk to him. You just stood in the room and didn't even acknowledge that he was. How crazy does it seem? You might not agree with me. But you might have something in your life that you think, if I was in the room with that person, I wouldn't stand back, just enjoy my little spring rolls and fish cocktail pieces as they went past. I would be in that person's face, demanding, asking questions, capturing their time, not losing the moment. But how often do we stand in the presence of God or have the opportunity to have a life encountering time with Jesus Christ, but we stand off to the side and let it pass. Because in this story, in Mark chapter 2, there's a few groups of people in here, all in the presence of Jesus Christ, all with an opportunity to whether their lameness and their paralysis was visual because they laid on a mat or whether it was spiritual and caught up in their mind or in their heart. They all suffered the same thing, but two different groups of people responding differently to being in the presence of not just a musician, but the Word of God made flesh sitting on a seat in front of them in the room. One group takes all in faith action, the other sits there. Let's think about this scene. Here is this house that Jesus is staying in and the house becomes so full that the video didn't really do it justice because it tells us that the house is so full that even the doorways were so blocked that there was just no chance of getting entrance into the house. Like how full must it have been that these men looked at their friend and said the only way to get into this house is not politeness, it's not through a window. We have to get on the roof and risk being arrested for destruction of property to get you into the presence of God. And that's what we read happens. 
these men climb up the side of the house. There was most likely a staircase, flat roof was what was kind of typical of houses that day. Pull back some tiles, as it says in Luke, dug through the roof to get in right into the middle of the house because the house was so full. Now, I like to read this with my, with my Sunday school story eyes sometimes and think about all these people just sitting around with their, with their eyes focused on Jesus and their ears peeled to every word that he would say. But it tells us, it tells us that it was the Pharisees that Jesus had to address, which means when the man came through the roof in front of him, the Bible tells us that the Pharisees had to have been the closest people because they're the ones that Jesus references when he talks to them. He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. And then it says that the Pharisees are over here going, how can he say that? Who does he think he is? Waving their Pharisee finger at him. How dare he say, well actually it doesn't say that. The Bible says they were thinking that. So they were just standing there kind of thinking. And, and Jesus references them which tells us one very important thing that we can understand from this story today. Is that the house that was blocking the man who was suffering paralysis from getting to an encounter with Jesus was blocked by teachers of religious law, of the Pharisees. He wasn't surrounded by people who were eagerly wanting an encounter with him. He was surrounded by people who were wanting to pull him apart and were blocking the ability for people who really needed to encounter Jesus to get in in front of him, so much so that friends had to destroy the roof to get him access. This means that what was stopping people who needed an encounter with Jesus that day, they were blocked from their encounter because of religious law, because of tradition, because of rules, because of people who had the wrong heart and the wrong spirit. Now how often in our life Listen to this. It may hurt a little. It hurts me. How often in our life do we have the opportunity to stand in the midst of Jesus Christ and his life-changing presence, but we allow ourselves to be blocked by religion, by tradition, by rules, by people who tell us what we can and cannot do? And not allow us to get through the door into the place where Jesus' life can touch us. How many times, and I'm only going to talk about what God spoke to me about on this. How many times have we turned up on a Sunday and left without the presence of Christ touching our life? How many weeks have gone past where we, as people who carry the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives every single day, take days off the calendar without an encounter with Christ in our life when He is that close to us, where most of the time 
the reason why the doorways and the rooms of our heart and our mind are blocked is because they're so full of tradition, of religion, of rules and regulations. I can't enter the presence of God today because yesterday I did this. That is a giant Pharisee sitting in the doorway. Well, no, I can't enter the presence of God. I need to wait till Sunday. That's where Jesus is. Boom, boom. Incorrect. That room in your mind is full of religious law and tradition that is so incorrect. The Holy Spirit is in your life. Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. It tells us that in 1 Corinthians. Romans 8 verse 11 tells us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells not on a Sunday service, but in you. But every day, we walk past a house where Jesus is living, and we look at the doorways and say, too hard, too full, too difficult. We become observers of what Christ is doing rather than spiritual opportunists that take the opportunity every time it's presented to us. We become spectators rather than participators in what God is doing. We suffer from seat-warming-itis. It's a condition where we warm seats in the presence of Jesus rather than getting on the field and playing the game and tearing roofs open and doing whatever it takes to get into the presence of God. Which one are we today? Which group do we sit in? Are we sitting in the doorways and the rooms of the house, blocked by tradition and religion and attendance? And rules and regulations? Or are we dragging ourselves up the staircase at the side of the house, digging our hands and our nails into the roof to pull the tiles and stones apart to do whatever it takes to be lowered into the presence of Jesus? So our lameness, our paralysis, our disconnection from Him can be. Restored. James 3 verse 14 tells us, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Encountering Christ, living an all-in life, is all about action. Not about routine, not about rules and regulations. It's all about taking action. We forget so much in this story about the main character. We actually, this story is about a man who was paralyzed on a mat, being completely healed. Let that sink in for a minute. A man who was paralyzed, 
gets up, carries his mat, walks out. But we forget about him so much in this story because we're so focused on the Pharisees and we're so focused on the friends. But the line that that jumped out at me from this Bible verse, this story when I read it again, was the fact that Jesus doesn't actually acknowledge the man on the mat until towards the end of the story. Have you, have you ever realized that in reading this? That he actually almost ignores the man that came down through the ceiling on a mat and focuses on the two other groups of people who are present either in the house or on top of the house. He says, let's go back to it. Mark chapter 2, verse somewhere, verse 5, it says, Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. So the roof gets pulled open. Jesus is sitting there, starts to feel dust and rock and dirt fall upon him, wondering, did he wonder or did he know, but what what was going on? And suddenly this man gets lowered through. And I want you to think about this because he doesn't say hello, welcome to the house, glad you could make it today. He says, seeing their faith, he said, my child, your sins are forgiven. Later in the story and in other parts of encounters with Jesus, everyone wants to focus on, this, on the man. What did he do? Why was he sick like this? What is it about his life that allowed him to be healed that day in the encounter with Jesus? But the Bible tells us that this man and his reasons and who he is actually become irrelevant. Because why? Because Jesus sees the faith of the friends who tore the roof open and lowered him in. And I get this picture in my head of him almost ignoring the man and just looking up at the people in the roof and seeing their faith allows him to move in the life of their friend who was on the mat. You know, we have a choice every day in our life, every moment of our life as to which group of people we are. And it is so, so easy to be caught up in clogging up the presence of Jesus Christ, the only person that can change our life, the only name that reigns above everything that we will face in our life. We clog it up. We block the doorways. We make the house full. We put it in the too hard basket, the too difficult. 
and just sit and become comfortable with the routine. Where Jesus shows us that lives are changed and touched when he sees our faith at work in the lives of ourselves and in the lives of the people that we're dragging into his presence. And our mission is not to bring people to church. Our mission is to bring people into an opportunity where they encounter Jesus Christ in their life. And what makes an all-in life is a willingness to take action to the faith that we have. As it says in James, faith is nothing without action. Faith is a doing word. Faith requires us, just like these men, to step out of our comfort zone, to take one small obedient step, literally one step at a time, as they climbed up the side of that house, while every voice around them said, what are you doing? This won't work. You can't be up there. Don't you dare do that. I'm calling the police, even the man on the mats. I appreciate this, friends, but we've tried things a thousand times. How do you know he is who he says he is? This could be the greatest fail in the history of the world. But yet one step after another until they found themselves in such a place of obedience that Jesus ignored the event that just happened and was captured by the faith of what these men would do to get into the presence of God and see the life changed of their friend.